Section 4 of From the Darkness Cometh the Light, or Struggles for Freedom. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. From the Darkness Cometh the Light, or Struggles for Freedom, by Lucy Ann Delaney. Chapter 4 on the morning of the eighth of september eighteen forty two my mother sued mr d d mitchell for the possession of her child lucy ann berry my mother accompanied by the sheriff took me from my hiding place and conveyed me to the jail which was located on sixth street between chestnut and market where the lackleed hotel now stands and there met mr mitchell with mr h s cox his brother-in-law judge bryant mullenfee read the law to mr mitchell which stated that if mr mitchell took me back to his house he must give bond and security to the amount of two thousand dollars and furthermore i should not be taken out of the state of missouri until i had a chance to prove my freedom mr h s cox became his security and mr mitchell gave bond accordingly and then demanded that i should be put in jail why do you want to put that poor young girl in jail demanded my lawyer because he retorted her mother or some of her crew might run her off just to make me pay the two thousand dollars and i would like to see her lawyer or any other man in jail that would take up a blank nigger case like that you need not think mr mitchell calmly replied mr murdoch because my client is colored that she has no rights and can be cheated out of her freedom she is just as free as you are and the court will so decide it as you will see however i was put in a cell under lock and key and there remained for seventeen long and dreary months listening to the blank foreign echoes from the street faint sounds of revel traffic conflict keen and thinking that man's reiterated feet have gone such ways since ere the world has been i wondered how each oft-used tone and glance retains its might and old significance my only crime was seeking for that freedom which was my birthright i heard mr mitchell tell his wife that he did not believe in slavery yet through his instrumentality i was shut away from the sunlight because he was determined to prove me a slave and thus keep me in bondage consistency thou art a jewel at the time my mother entered suit for her freedom she was not instructed to mention her two children nancy and lucy so the white people took advantage of this flaw and showed a determination to use every means in their power to prove that i was not her child this gave my mother an immense amount of trouble but she had girded up her loins for the fight and knowing that she was right was resolved by the help of god and a good lawyer to win my case against all opposition after advice by competent persons mother went to judge edward bates and begged him to plead the case and after fully considering the proofs and learning that my mother was a poor woman he consented to undertake the case and make his charges only sufficient to cover his expenses it would be well here to give a brief sketch of judge bates as many people wondered that such a distinguished statesman would take up the case of an obscure negro girl Edward Bates was born in Belmont, Goochland County, Virginia, September 1793. 
he was of quaker descent and inherited all the virtues of that peace-loving people in eighteen twelve he received a midshipman's warrant and was only prevented from following the sea by the influence of his mother to whom he was greatly attached edward emigrated to missouri in eighteen fourteen and entered upon the practice of law and in eighteen sixteen was appointed prosecuting lawyer for the st louis circuit toward the close of the same year he was appointed attorney general for the new state of missouri and in eighteen twenty six while yet a young man was elected representative to congress as an anti-democrat and served one term for the following twenty-five years he devoted himself to his profession in which he was a shining light his probity and uprightness attracted to him a class of people who were in the right and only sought justice while he repelled by his virtues those who traffic in the miseries or mistakes of unfortunate people for they dared not come to him and seek counsel to aid them in their villainy in eighteen forty seven mr bates was delegate to the convention for internal improvement held in chicago and by his action he came prominently before the whole country in eighteen fifty president fillmore offered him the portfolio of secretary of war which he declined three years later he accepted the office of judge of st louis land court when the question of the repeal of the missouri compromise was agitated he earnestly opposed it and thus became identified with the free labor party in missouri and united with it in opposition to the admission of kansas under the lecompton constitution he afterwards became a prominent anti-slavery man and in eighteen fifty nine was mentioned as a candidate for the presidency he was warmly supported by his own state and for a time it seemed that the opposition to governor seward might concentrate on him in the national republican convention eighteen sixty he received forty-eight votes on the first ballot but when it became apparent that abraham lincoln was the favorite mr bates withdrew his name mr lincoln appointed judge bates attorney-general and while in the cabinet he acted a dignified safe and faithful part in eighteen sixty four he resigned his office and returned to his home in st louis where he died in eighteen sixty nine surrounded by his weeping family blank loved at home revered abroad princes and lords are but the breath of kings and honest man's the noblest work of god on the seventh of february eighteen forty four the suit for my freedom began a bright sunny day a day which the happy and carefree would drink in with a keen sense of enjoyment but my heart was full of bitterness i could see only gloom which seemed to deepen and gather closer to me as i neared the court-room the jailer's sister-in-law mrs lacy spoke to me of submission and patience but i could not feel anything but rebellion against my lot i could not see one gleam of brightness in my future as i was hurried on to hear my fate decided among the most important witnesses were Judge Robert Wash and Mr. Harry Douglas, who had been an overseer on Judge Wash's farm, and also Mr. McEwen, who bought my mother from H.S. Cox, just previous to her running away. Judge Wash testified that the defendant, Lucy A. Berry, was a mere infant when he came in possession of Mrs. Fanny Berry's estate, and that he often saw the child in the care of its reputed mother, Polly, and to his best knowledge and belief, he thought Lucy A. Berry was Polly's own child. Mr. Douglas and Mr. McEwen corroborated Judge Wash's statement. 
After the evidence from both sides was all in, Mr. Mitchell's lawyer, Thomas Hutchinson, commenced to plead. For one hour he talked so bitterly against me and against my being in possession of my liberty that I was trembling, as if with ague, for I certainly thought everybody must believe him. Indeed, I almost believed the dreadful things he said myself, and as I listened I closed my eyes with sickening dread, for I could just see myself floating down the river, and my heart-throbs seemed to be the throbs of the mighty engine which propelled me from my mother and freedom forever. Oh, what a relief it was to me when he finally finished his harangue and resumed his seat. As I never heard anyone plead before, I was very much alarmed, although I knew in my heart that every word he uttered was a lie. Yet how was I to make people believe? It seemed a puzzling question. Judge Bates arose, and his soulful eloquence and earnest pleading made such an impression on my sore heart I listened with renewed hope. I felt the black storm-clouds of doubt and despair were fading away, and that I was drifting into the safe harbor of the realms of truth. I felt as if everybody must believe him, for he clung to the truth, and I wondered how Mr. Hutchinson could so lie about a poor defenseless girl like me. Judge Bates chained his hearers with the graphic history of my mother's life, from the time she played on Illinois banks, through her trials and slavery, her separation from her husband, her efforts to become free, her voluntary return to slavery for the sake of her child Lucy, and her subsequent efforts in securing her own freedom. All these incidents he lingered over step by step, and concluding, he said, Gentlemen of the jury, I am a slaveholder myself, but, thanks to the Almighty God, I am above the base principle of holding anybody a slave that has as good right to her freedom as this girl has been proven to have. She was free before she was born. Her mother was free, but kidnapped in her youth, and sacrificed to the greed of negro traders, and no free woman can give birth to a slave child, as it is in direct violation of the laws of God and man. At this juncture he read the affidavit of Mr. A. Posey, with whom my mother lived at the time of her abduction, also affidavits of Mr. and Mrs. Woods, in corroboration of the previous facts duly set forth. Judge Bates then said, Gentlemen of the jury, here I rest this case, as I would not want any better evidence for one of my own children. The testimony of Judge Wash is alone sufficient to substantiate the claim of Polly Crockett Berry to the defendant as being her own child. The case was then submitted to the jury about eight o'clock in the evening, and I was returned to the jail and locked in the cell which I had occupied for seventeen months, filled with the most intense anguish. End of section four. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.